Dance Podcast. This is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver, Canada area. And I'm Joanna Boyd, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. And I'm Chris Boyd, also a registered clinical counselor for the Vancouver area, and Joanna's brother. Good one, right? Well done. <laughs> uh, that's that wasn't really Chris. No. Chris has decided to take the night off, which is his loss, I will say. Yep. Too bad. Too bad, so sad. Too bad, so sad. We will we will have to fill in with uh, with with Chrisisms whenever we can. Some neurobiology, sure. Some neurobiology, some some quotes from uh, from famous researchers or whatnot. We'll just and connecting it somehow to evolutionary psychology. Those would be the key points. (laughs) Is that what he does? Did you mention a lot of evolutionary psychology? I know neurobiology for sure. Yeah, neurobiology and evolution. He he Uh seems to go down that realm quite often. Well, okay. I'll keep keep my ears open for opportunities to throw in a, a Chris criticism or two. Uh, it's too bad he's not here because tonight, actually two days ago, was the one year anniversary of the Mental Health Boot Camp podcast. We did it! We did it, you guys. We did it a full year. This is this is our fifty first episode right now believe that wow. so we only missed two weeks last year yeah somehow like it was we missed... probably because like christmas yeah like holidays or something but really didn't miss much yeah it's just wild because the yeah, other I one think... was just recently when you were on vacation ryan yeah right no i think we've done pretty good because if it's usually like if we can't record on the like thursday or whatever day we usually just bump it up a few days like we've done pretty good with moving things around so yeah but that's really impressive go us yes go us that's uh that's fun we should get some confetti poppers really (laughs) celebrate this moment we should celebrate the moment this is a big this is a big deal It's, it's kind of a shows a lot of commitment to stick with this for a year it's true and unfortunately we are now out of topics we only had 50 uh, topics to cover, so that's all there is of mental health. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not true. There's plenty more to talk about. There, we haven't even scratched the surface of a lot of the areas of mental health we could certainly be covering. So, well, I feel that in each of our podcasts, we go through and realize we're just scratching the surface on that one. Mm-hmm. question right there's so many different offshoots and areas that we could dig into yeah so true yes yeah. and but some thank topics you to our listeners as well i want to give a shout out to our listeners whether you're new and you found us whether you're some devoted listeners of ours we appreciate it we do appreciate it 
appreciate it a lot. It's really cool. It's fun to mm -hmm. to look around. They, we get uh, kind of some general statistics uh, from from the the website that we use to publish this podcast, and uh, we get to see where you know people are listening in from around the world and around each of our countries. And uh, we're just commenting now. We get, you know people are coming in from different places all the time. It's kind of cool to see. Uh, where people are tuning in from, you know? So yes, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for our listeners. Maybe we still would actually. We might, just, we might just record this anyway. I think we're just doing this for intrinsic joy, not extrinsic gratification. Yes. Yeah. That's true. It's not paying any of my bills, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but we're having fun and yeah. And I'll, I'll make the request one more time. If you, as one of our worldwide listeners, have something you'd like us to discuss, please just drop us a line. Give us, a, give us your idea. I'm sure we would be happy to, to cover it. We've done that a few times over the year. Um, someone wanted to listen about attachment and I think mindfulness, a few other little topics that people have written in about, and we were right on it. Jump right in and, uh, and give a talk about it. So uh, drop us a line at uh, info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com and we would be happy to address your topic. It could be just devoted. Think about that. Your very own topic on the podcast. Ooh. Yes. Pretty cool. Uh, also, we should mention our book that we're going to be uh, reading, right? Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've downloaded the book. I haven't started reading it yet, though. And it is called, what is it called? What happened to you? What, what happened to you? Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. By Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah. Yeah. Yes. So I'm looking forward to that. Seen you, know what, you know what's fun, sorry to interrupt you, Ryan, is that I got an email. I follow, uh, I don't know who this person is. Like this is mentallyfit.com or something, but it's a random email. But I guess they do a therapist book club, and uh, the book of the month is "What Happened to You," um, the same one we're doing for our book club. And it looks like Dr. Bruce Perry will be joining them for live Q and A at the end of their group reading of the book. So I think that's something we should take a look at. Yeah, definitely. Pretty cool, but I think it was just good timing. Yeah. Wow. It must be the the book to read right now. It's great. Yeah, good pick, mm -hmm. Joanna. You're really like yeah. rocking it with the book selections. My my suggestions have been falling flat. <laughs> I think you can only you can only move up from here for from Black Swan. It's all good. Yeah. We'll see. Onward and upward. <laughs> uh, that's all right. We're we're having fun with this. I, I enjoy the book club. I think it's fun. And I thought last week was a great discussion. I thought so too. Even if we weren't all so jazzed about it, it was still about the book itself. It was a good discussion about it. I agree. Nice. Okay. So kicking off year two of the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast, we uh, retain our format of an ambush. One of us knows the topic, the others do not. And tonight it is Joe who gets to be in charge of the topic. 
It's me. It is I. It is you. It's you. Okay. Well, you ready to send it across the border? I am ready. Kicking us off. Are you ready for it? I am ready. Okay. Woo. Okay. I know. Get your, I, don't, I don't think that was a good face. Get your caffeine going, everybody. This is a big one. Um, sure. This is good. It, right. I think it sounds it sounds a lot more complicated than I think it is. It sounds to me a little bit like out of this world, but I actually think it. I don't know. I don't think it's that complicated, but we'll see. We'll see what you think. Okay, let's go. Here we are. Is what we re, is what we perceive reality or just a construct of our minds? Can our minds correctly interpret reality or is reality subjective? This is a very deep philosophical question here and cognitive psychology for sure. Mm -hmm. is, what we, is what we perceive reality or just a construct of our minds? Can our minds correctly interpret reality or is, it, or is reality subjective? Whew, it's a humdinger. Sure is. Joanna, where, where is this question coming from? <laughs> um, I just sent it to YouTube back so you can read it if you need to look back at it. Um, yeah, uh, no, it totally, I was just kind of trying to brainstorm and come up with some different ones. So it's not like this one just came to me. Um, it, yeah, well, the reason why it jumps out is because, I don't know, I think it's relevant. I think um how we see the world some would say is greatly influenced by kind of we all have our own filters of how we see the world and and based on uh, a few different factors that we can go over and so i just think it's interesting how you know we can experience and witness the same things but it can impact us differently and so yeah i just thought it'd be an interesting topic to see and there's not you know see what each of us thinks and yeah i thought it'd be an interesting conversation so Definitely more yeah. of a conversation topic, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I guess, so the first thing that pops into my mind, or sort of the first kind of thing that's popping in there, um, I feel like there is a huge element of subjectivity to it, but there's also, like if it goes too far, then you're being delusional. You know, mm. so um, we could talk about eyewitness testimonies and studies on that, right? Like, so, or, or the experiment with the gorilla walking through the group of people who are like tossing a ball back and forth, and mm -hmm. yeah, whether or not you actually saw the gorilla, right? And so, yeah, like somebody, we could all three of us witness an event and remember the event differently, but that doesn't make it less real. But there is a point where it goes so far into the subjective where it becomes actually not real anymore and becomes delusional. Huh. Like hallucinations, visual or auditory hallucinations, I should say. Not quite delusions. Yeah. Ryan, what are you thinking? Wow. I'm thinking, you know, how we usually have to go and define terms and things like that. So I feel like we got to start, start fresh. I, I spent a long time teaching uh, Psych 101, which was really a lot of fun. Taught uh, Psychology 101 at, uh, at the community college level. 
um, which you guys just call college, right? Junior college, like two two years of after yeah. high school. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Be. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, and and always whatever textbook you use, chapter two is always sensation and perception, where it goes into okay, here's how this is a, a psychology course, right? Here's the way that you, your body uh, senses and perceives the world. So it talks about like, um, you know, the eye and the, the receptors in your eye, the rods and cones that take in the, the images and the light and the dark and the colors. And then how does your ear hear things and how does your skin, you know, how do you feel things and touch and taste and all this stuff. And it, it breaks it down into the, the science of how, how, we, how we perceive things, how we take something in. Um, but even as we're sensing things, uh, then there has to be this other step of you trying to make sense of it, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, you know, some, some stimuli reaches your eyeball, but then, then the brain has to kick in or the mind kicks in at that point and says, what is that thing that I'm looking at? You know, oh, that looks like a chair. I've seen other chairs. So that looks like it fits under the category of chair. So now I'm going to say that I see a chair. Um, now, Brooke has maybe never seen a chair before, and she might say, well, I see a, you know, a collection of sticks that are uh, put together um, with a cushion on top, right? I see, I see a chair, Brooke sees a collection of sticks with a cushion. So that's, we're kind of, we're, we're sensing the same thing, but we're perceiving it differently because we have a different filter that we're running it through, right? So... It, it all becomes, uh, it gets, it gets kind of tangled up there because then, then we may have different, uh, you know, she may be colorblind or I may have uh, be very nearsighted. So now we're, we're even sensing things at a different, in a different way. So I might see a brown chair. She might see a, a black and white chair because she doesn't see colors or something like that. Right. So then we get into, wow. So what really, what, what is that reality or what is it that we're perceiving? Um, cause we're, we're looking at the same thing, but we may be seeing it very differently and have very different names for it or categories that we're putting it under. Right. Yeah. I'm actually Ryan, as you're discussing this and like the perception of the item and whether or not you're going to call it a chair or collection of sticks, I'm actually reminded of Ariel from the little mermaid in her collection yeah. of items with her fork that she's using to twist her hair with anyways. She doesn't have all the words. So I'm just actually really thinking about yeah, a little mermaid right now. Great. There we go. I should have shown that in my class. That would have been great. Yeah. But if you had to describe the thing, you would just like you would like it would be some sticks with some a cushion on top. So aren't you seeing the same thing? Or just someone has called it something. Like Brooke might call it. Actually, yeah. that's the the sticky, the sticky city thing. And you're like, actually, it's a chair, but you're actually still seeing the same thing, unless you are colorblind or something like that, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, right. It, unless, yeah, unless we have a visual problem or we're seeing it from a completely different angle or something like that. So the sensing, it would be just the, the data that's coming in and the perception is what meaning are we ascribing to that, right? Like, what are we, what are we calling it? Or, um, you know, speaking of, of, of eyewitness testimony stuff, like there's, there's kind of a, a famous thing of, 
just just the usage of words and how that can color the way that we um, perceive something, right? So someone's on the witness stand and the, and the lawyer says, uh, how fast was the car going when it uh, collided with the person, right? And then how, how fast was the car going when it slammed into the person or something like, you know, just, just using different words there, someone's going to crank up their, uh, the, the, the miles per hour or kilometers per hour that you are, you perceived because you're framing it differently. And there's many different examples of how, how that sort of thing works. Well, I think you also bring up an interesting piece of this where like, sure, um, you can perceive objects, chairs and forks and whatnot, but um, you just switched over to perceiving an event or an interaction, yes. or an ex like an experience. Mm -hmm. And so psychologically, I mean, welcome to what we're doing in the therapy room so often is understanding how somebody has perceived an experience and whether or not there's that was the, the truth or reality of the experience or if it was the perception that became distorted, right? But that's so tough, that's so true. But if it's a conversation between two people, what is the truth and reality? They're just gonna have their own perceptions. And so who says actually what the, like, the truth is? You know what I mean? Like, even if someone videotaped or recorded them talking, people who are watching can then be like, well, no, that person was the aggressor. No, I see that person as, and it's then, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. so because like what Ryan said about the chairs, like, oh, this is a chair because I've seen other chairs and it looks like it belongs in that category. So I'm gonna call it a chair. So in an interaction, let's say um, it's somebody and they, the person believes that they're uh, being accusatory or something, but, the brain is going to work in a similar manner where it's going to pick up cues. So nonverbal signals or tone or um, yeah, the, the words being used, facial expressions, body language, all of these things and match it with historically mm -hmm. experiences that they've had. So just like the pieces of the chair and the collection of chairs, if this person has this tone or uses these words or looks a certain way because of my history of all these times, perhaps a parent or a teacher or friends did that, you're then going to assume what that means. Absolutely. That's yes. going to filter your perception, right? It's going to filter your perception. That's, that's where it gets pickly because... Uh, that that other person may that maybe wasn't the intent maybe that's not where they were coming from but the somebody has perceived it in that manner based off of previous experiences mm -hmm. that they've had yes that's that's a great one um and yeah and i think we're gonna we're probably gonna have to talk a bit about trauma and and like abuse and stuff as well when talking about this because i think those that's another area where we may we may be able to define what makes something trauma and what isn't. So let's say that I'm I, I come to you and I say, hey, I was driving for work today, and I rolled my car, and the car is totaled, right? And you might hear that and go, oh my gosh, you must be traumatized, right? Because you rolled your car and that and it's totaled. Oh my god, that must have been a traumatic event for you, right? And then I say. 
I'm a stunt car driver and I do this for a living, right? <laughs> so is that trauma is that traumatizing for me? I mean, based on like what you were just saying, Brooke, like my my history, my background, this is what I do for a living. It's kind of a regular day at the office rolling a car. Now I'm probably not going to be traumatized. For someone else who's ne that's never happened to them before, that could be tra traumatic. But just saying that it was it's automatically trauma because it was this certain circumstance um, isn't going to fly for everybody, right? Yeah. Yep. I don't know. It's in... Is there is there are, are there things like are we could we say it would reality be the same thing as fact? Like the sky is blue unless you're colorblind or um I don't know if there was like a mm. yeah, or if there was like proof of something that happened like a car went by and no it was a red car no it was a blue car but then there's actually video footage that showed that it was a red car so there's that's the reality is what the video is showing versus what people perceive you know like i don't know at some point i was just trying to think like i know because we interpret things totally and in a lot of ways subjectively but what is reality even then like <laughs> is it all just you know what, a, what each of us are considering or is there actually like something that is if a lot of people agree is that reality and if one person's off they're the ones who are you know I don't know maybe that sounds really confusing but I just no, I, um, I believe that yeah there certainly would be objective reality right I think I think there are certain things that are uh, gosh going into another book that we didn't choose to read sapiens they talk about kind of shared myths that we have like money is kind of an agreed upon myth that we all agree that that money is worth something and this piece of paper has value um but to say is this is the car blue or is the car red i don't think that's a myth that's there is a reality to that right mm -hmm. or you know did something happen something happened today uh was it at midnight or was it at noon you know there's a there's going to be a reality there yeah yeah, yeah. an objective okay. sort of there yeah so okay. sometimes with clients even i'm just trying to pull it into therapy a little bit too here um i will question my clients if they're like if they're trying to share what somebody had said to them mm -hmm. i will say is that exactly what they said or is that your interpretation of what they said because often it's not the exact words mm -hmm. that the other person had said right mm -hmm. and then that's going to imprint onto us in a different way yeah, it is so starting to question that. Yeah. Or even the percept like perception of like they were yelling at me. But yeah. or but sometimes it's like you try to feel like they yeah, but they may try to people just like volume wise, just raise their voice, you know, a bit. But for some it'd be like they were yelling. So sometimes I'm like, okay. Yeah. That, yeah you or try to have to ask a little bit. Totally. Or they were blaming me, they were angry with me all of these and you say well what exactly did they say <laughs> yeah interesting speaking of therapy when i when i first started as a therapist there, it was pre-text message right but now yeah uh, oftentimes in session someone will say oh and i had this you know i had this talk with with my boyfriend or you know whatever it might be 
And uh, did you talk? Oh, it was it was a text exchange. And then, well, let's go through that text exchange. Let's actually read the actual words there because there may be some subjective pieces going into that. That once we kind of explore it and try to be a little more objective about it, we might see, oh, it's not that he was being a jerk. He's just confused or, you know, mm -hmm. it's a misunderstanding or something like that, right? Yeah. It's because, yeah, your perception of, say, the text conversation is also going to be skewed on your own emotional state while you are reading it. So if you are in a calm place emotionally, you might read it one way versus if you just rolled your car and uh, your nervous system is kicked on and you're sitting at the, the hospital and you're reading it, you're probably going to read it a different way. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. This is, this is a big, big topic. So I would, I would vote Joe, I would vote that there is an objective reality. <laughs> um, but that once we, once we perceive that reality, it's, it's going to go through some filters and mm -hmm. some things are, um, and depending on how much we're bringing to that perception, those, those, that reality may be distorted. Yeah. You know? um, and perception is then, yeah, going to have a different, I'm also thinking like, oh, wow, the moon's really big right now. Sorry, I was distracted. It's peeking out behind a tree. It looks beautiful. Oh, for real, I thought you were giving an example. No, that no, I'm just like distracted by the moon peeking behind the tree. But my example is going to be um, music. Like if you were to break down music, you can say objectively, these are the instruments and uh, this is the vocals and these are the words that they're singing. Uh, if there are vocals at all or uh, if it's wh whatever that might be. But then you're interpretation like is this good music or bad music do i enjoy it or not enjoy it is still a reality but everyone's real like that that's going to shift between people right that's going to be more subjective right that yeah, exactly whether you enjoy it or not is going to be subjective and then i i don't know about if it's good music or bad music that one could even be argued because there's experts in the field that would be able to say it's good for these reasons or bad for these reasons. They might be able to critique it better than the average Joe, regardless of like the genre. Sure, sure. Yeah, but right, the value, the goodness, the goodness or badness of it is going to be more subjective. Yeah. Um, you, may, you may even take a vote and get uh, 99 people to agree that it's a good song, but does that make it a reality? Still, that's still going to be subjective, right? Mm -hmm. mm. So let's apply this to memory. Because speaking of the eyewitness testimony, right? Um, and what, a, what we talk about a lot in therapy, people are talking about things from either their week or their childhood or five years ago or something like that, where they're they're recalling something and usually these are events that they believe you know impacted them in some way or transformed them or you know set them on a particular course and and what we know from from a lot of research is that memory and eyewitness testimony can be pretty faulty 
Yes. Now, isn't it, do they even still use eyewitness testimony? Yeah. They do. Wow. At least yeah. here, here they do, yeah. Because if, if there's an accident, what is reality? You can't really determine what is reality until you maybe ask witnesses or get a few corroborating stories, no? Like if you have two different opinions, what is reality? Like, I don't know, like, no, this happened, no, this happened. So unless someone's able to witness that, you actually don't know what reality was if you weren't there. I don't know. Like, or if, if you were to have like a classroom full of people watching the teacher do something or they're all watching a, a video, I think you would all need to have some agreement if you if someone were to come in and say, hey, where are you, where are you watching, right? I don't know, would it need to, would it, is it reality objectively if there's more people who agree on it? Does that make sense? Maybe I'm going down a rabbit hole here because no, I just, otherwise, yeah, I'm just curious about that. I but, think it's still going to be subjective, but you're going to get yeah. more of a consensus, right? Like they certainly courts here at least still use eyewitness testimony, but um, but they're oftentimes they're looking at how credible is the witness, right? How yeah. how trustworthy is right. this person? Yeah, you know. Okay. Um, right. you see the movie any influence of anything at the time or mm -hmm. okay. that sort of thing, maybe. Did you guys ever see the movie My Cousin Vinny? Yes. No. No. Oh, Joe, it's worth a look. It's a funny one. What a that's way back. It's way back, but it, there's a whole lot of it is about eyewitness testimony and and people saying, well, are you sure you could see who these, uh, you know, you're identifying who the, the people who are accused of the crime, but could you really see them? Because your window is dirty and you have bad eyesight and there's a tree between you and the car. So are you really sure you saw them clearly? You know, these sorts of things. Yeah. And uh yeah, so there's there's a lot uh, a lot that goes into that, and also what they found from from doing from research on on eyewitness testimony is people oftentimes get get their narrative down, get their story of what I think happened, and then they just kind of keep repeating that, rehearsing that, and it sort of galvanizes yeah. it. They become more and they believe more and more in that story, even yeah. though. Uh, the video may, might show something very different, but they just kind of start to believe it because they've been rehearsing that over and over Absolutely. again. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah, so when, very when, interesting. So here's, here's something that, that I've, I've learned, or I was, I was kind of taught this in, in supervision a long time ago speaking of this, uh, this idea, kind of memories that people might have maybe of their past, right? Um, someone says to me, uh, yeah, well, when I grew up, uh, it seemed like my, my mom never really liked me, right? Mm -hmm. So might, that might be their, their memory, right? Mm -hmm. My mom never really liked me. She was always criticizing me and, and, and I was always rejected by her, right? Now, some people might say, well, gosh, is there any, is there any value to going back and, you know, finding the videotapes of when you were a kid and seeing whether or not the mom was rejecting the kid or getting the mom and uh, bringing her into the therapy session and saying, well, how did you feel about your kid during that time? Or asking other people in the family, did you perceive that the kid was rejected? You know, 
to try to get some something closer to uh, something more objective, right? Something that's more what that reality might be, right? And what I was taught is that actually is not going to be of any help. <laughs> because if the kids experience, if the, the client's experience was that they felt rejected, then that's that is their reality. That's that's just what they know. And if you try to convince them other not, otherwise, oh no, you weren't rejected, you're you're delusional or you uh you're misperceiving things mm -hmm. um that's actually probably not going to take away that pain so you just got to work with what it is that they believe was true for them and let's talk about what that felt like and let's grieve that rejection or, or try to work through it somehow yeah i agree with you ryan yeah as uh for therapy we want to work with the process not the content, if that makes any sense. You don't want to get caught in the content of someone's story or proving it wrong or like that's just, it's just not helpful to even operate at that level. You want to dig a little deeper and examine what that must have felt like and how has that influenced life since and how is it influencing life now? And maybe we can help dig up, like pick apart experiences that are happening now to assess are we perceiving these based on our past or are we perceiving them for what they are? Or, or is there a negative pattern that's repeating over and over and can we break that apart? Because part of what we do, like we do wanna identify someone's like mistaken beliefs about themselves and challenge those if they're negative and unhelpful, right? So like those cognitive point, distortions we talked about before, right? Well, even on the deeper level, not just a cognitive distortion, but a negative self-belief. I am a failure. I right. am unlovable. I am unworthy. Um, mm. Yeah. All of, kind of like a, a deeper sense of it, right? Yeah. So in like Adlerian therapy, it would be the I am's, right? Like I am mm. people are the world is. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. What's that the framework there? Yeah, so it's just trying to get to those like mistaken beliefs that somebody might have about themselves or the world or people. So you just, it's kind of like a fill in the gaps, whatever comes to mind first. So I am like, I am funny, I am lovable, or is it I am a failure? I'm, it's, which is I am loved, I am worthy. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, people are, and it's interesting. So some people are trustworthy, people are funny, people are supportive, other people will say, People are scary. People um, are threatening. Let you down. Mm -hmm. People let you down. Yeah. And then the world is safe. Mm. The world is unsafe. The world is in danger. The world is. So it, it starts to pull out what are these, like, because when I'm saying a mistaken belief, it's something that's going to blanket many areas of life. Like it's, it's something that's going to seep into things. It's not something that's going to be uh, fluid as fluid, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if someone has a, you know, if they're, if their responses to, I am people are, and the world is, you know, if those are all pretty scary or negative or then do you think it's possible to, to change that around? Is that, is that possible yeah. through therapy? I think so. I think so. It just kind of gives the therapist a snapshot of what lens they're looking at stuff through. Mm -hmm. That's good. So it helps meet you 
meet the like where the therapist can meet the client where they're at. Um, because you kind of know, like, are you guarded and scared and have some stuff back there? Those things don't like fall that way. The cards don't fall that way for, for random reasons. Things have happened. Mm -hmm. Take a look at that, but yeah. And it's scary for people to change those. This is really scary because it's been so protective for them, right? Like to view things in that manner or have that perception, it's a, a coat of arms. It's guard. It's yeah. You're guarding yourself. And so to change that would be to be more open and vulnerable, which would be really, really scary. Mm -hmm. That's, that is true. That's kind of the, uh, it's kind of an irony there that, uh, you know, let's say someone says, um, I am unlovable, right? I'm unlovable. So that means why, why put myself out there to be loved? I'll, I'll kind of, put myself in a cocoon and I won't, uh, I won't even take a risk because I'm unlovable. Right. And then once you learn, actually you are lovable, you, there's a lot there to love. Then, uh Oh, now I might have to put myself out there and risk the rejection. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is not something that happens in like three therapy sessions. (laughs) This is, I want to put that out there too. This is something that's kind of like an ongoing. Yeah. At least four or five sessions I would imagine. Yeah. You bet. (laughs) <laughs> no it's something that would take a while for sure yeah yes so i guess another piece to this is about uh let's talk a little bit about the language that we use so i guess what i was talking about before with regard to to like trauma or abuse is these are these are concepts that are going to be a bit more subjective to people and these are also terms that are pretty loaded and to say that, you know, oh, I've got three clients who were abused. Those, those three stories are going to be so very different and so, so very different subjectively to that person and going to manifest so differently in that person's life. Um, it's really very much shorthand to just use a term like abuse to describe what some people go through, right? Yeah. And then no two, you know, trauma survivors or abuse survivors are going to have exactly the same experience, even within the same family. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, just I felt, felt the need to throw that out there because I think sometimes people kind of get into a camp and it is with, with so many things in, in, in psychology, especially, but I, I think in a lot of other areas as well, people just say, Oh, well, I am, you know, I, I, I experienced OCD. Okay. Well, your OCD is going to look <laughs> worlds different from the person down the block. And, uh, mm-hmm. just to just make an assumption that, oh, uh, my experience is the same or we need to be treated the same or, uh, yeah, the subjectivity of that is, is massive. So. Definitely. Yeah, it's a big topic. <laughs> I think it's one we can go a lot of different places. And, but I, I'm glad that we kind of touched on it in regards to kind of therapy or kind of yeah, trying to chat with people about what their realities are um, and their perception of things. That's, um, that's important. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely a super interesting topic. Just swinging back to the memory stuff. Um, 
Ryan, do you remember, it must be in the textbook still, maybe, but there was this study with, I think it was when they showed pic people pictures and it like primed them and one of them would be like, they had, I think they brought in their own family photos or something. And then mm -hmm. the researchers slipped in a photo of like a hot air balloon ride. Mm -hmm. And then they asked the client, like the, the participants like after, oh, do you remember, or when you were a child, did you ever ride in a hot air balloon? And the people that genuinely hadn't, like the, the group that didn't have them slipped in, or if somebody had and remembered it, then the, that would show, but they would all say no. But the people of the group that did have the photos slipped in, they said, yes, I did. And this is what happened. And they had a whole story about their hot air balloon ride when they were little. And the brain just filled in the gaps. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was like, so crazy. Joanna, do you remember that that study a little bit? Um, I think I just, no, I think I just relate to that. I think some people is, um, yeah, whether they see pictures or something like that, like when they're younger and they almost create these memories, but it actually wasn't something they remember. They've just been told many stories or whatnot. But yeah, like very interesting. Yeah, super interesting. So it's interesting too with memory work, like if there is a photo or a memory that comes up, um you, you, we want to pay attention to those as therapists or I do I don't know if Joanna if you do as well it's also an Adler thing like early recollections and memories um but it's interesting because if you actually write them down and pay attention to them as a therapist and then you do a bunch of clinical work and then you can swing back and in future sessions and ask the client to recall the memory again and they'll re like if you've done some work on it they might recall the memory differently Mm. So they will perceive that memory differently because the brain has now like kind of put it into a different, like the brain is viewing it in a different way now. That's great. Yeah. That's it's great. Super intriguing. Kind of, kind of what we're hoping for. Right. Yeah. It goes, goes from uh, a category of horrible, horrific, terrifying to to a story of resilience and overcoming, you know, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm. Or if it was one of maybe something happened, it was embarrassing or there was a, a abandonment or something like that. And then looking back, it might be one of compassion mm. or one of love or one of forgiveness or because maybe now the client can see more have more perspective or see different elements of it or view other people in that in that memory in a different way right and it takes that emotional power away from it great this is this is well processed trauma or early experiences right mm -hmm. do you guys ever uh have you guys ever looked through a client or has a client ever brought in like a, a photo album for you before or pictures from the past yeah yes the pictures yeah I asked that's usually not very yeah. often though say it again brooke i've asked for for pictures oh. for people to show pictures but not very often um sometimes teenagers want to just show me pictures on their phone and i'm okay sure. with that yeah 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 i've i've experienced that a few times with clients and love it it's great Love, love going through that. For one thing, it's, I always find it interesting because especially if people are talking about like family and, and or friends of theirs, things like that, 
I kind of develop an image in my head of who the people might be because I don't see them. They're, not, they're you know, I have I know bits about them. I know names and I know, you know, little anecdotes, things like that. But then when they say, OK, this is this is my sister, this is my dad, whatever it might be. It's like, oh, now I can finally put a face to these <laughs> to all these stories. Right. And oftentimes my my representation is way off. So, um, yeah, but, but yeah, I think. I like to ask sometimes, or they might show me someone. Um, but usually, if people bring in pictures, there's grief work. That's usually oh. when they're gonna, if they're yeah. bringing in the old photos. But otherwise, it's just the odd, like, oh yeah, I do want to see a picture, or we kind of yeah, chat about that. But yeah, it's yeah, it's funny. If people, I, I don't know if this is still something that people complain about sometimes people you know, you got a friend and they're like oh let me show you the picture book from my life you're like kind of ho-hum and like yeah that's that's not so great but as a therapist man i love that stuff when i'm working with a client and they and i get to ask them you know what was going on in this picture and what was what was happening here and you know who's behind the camera taking the picture you know these all these different things that are so illuminating for the work that we do you know I agree. He's so rich. Yeah. It really, I think, uh, quickens the process a bit too, because you start to pick up on the narrative of the person's life, like the, mm -hmm. how they have thread all these memories together in the sense that they've made of them. Like it kind of expedites the whole process, mm -hmm. but in a very engaging and fun way for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For us, but I think also, then when they see when they start probing through this stuff and kind of seeing it through another person's eyes like it can be very illuminating for the client too i've done that myself as as a client in therapy brought in a bunch of pictures and um uh, you know wow I've, I've learned things through that process that i never knew before it was just a photo now it's like wow this is really a representation of that period of my life you know mm -hmm. ah it's cool so there we go. There's some bits of, all right, a photo is, it's a snapshot. It's not, uh, it's not a perception, or I guess the, the film is perceiving. There's no, there's no meaning being made. It's just an actual snapshot of something, of a point in time. And then, and then we're putting all these, these feelings and stories and narratives around that. I think that can be very helpful. Yeah, that's, that's. I'm down with that stuff. It's good. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Very interesting. Or just, yeah, show one photo to a family from like an event and then see what all the different memories are from that. So everyone will probably remember different parts of it, right? Or forget mm -hmm. certain things. So, yeah, it's true. Do you guys swap stories with your siblings and find that you have? Different different reads on events from your past ever. Uh, for me, it's mostly I just sometimes forget a lot of stuff. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that thing, or don't even remember that. So um, yeah, I think maybe not so too far back, but um, more recent things would be kind of chattered about or different parts of that. But yeah, there hasn't been anything significant that I can think of where it's totally different take yeah. on an event. Yeah. yeah just more yeah. like different moments of it 
that's all not like an overall temperature of the event kind of not like a, that was awful or that no that was great it's just more of the different parts of it yeah yeah i think we're kind of that way like we reminisce sometimes um and everyone kind of gives their take on what it was but when you're kids like you just kind of remember different elements or my parents might ask do you guys remember the family reunions at auntie Kay's house and then people will be like yeah i remember um the egg toss i remember the really cold water i remember the pasta salad like everyone just kind of has like the little snapshot memories you know mm -hmm. but it's typically not like remembering things being played out in different ways mm. more of an essence of i remember really liking it or not liking it and these little pieces it's interesting some sometimes the stories that with my siblings and i it's the actions get attributed to different people. Like, I remember that I was the one who said that thing, but then my sister thinks it was my brother who said that thing, you know, something like that. It's like, wait a minute, huh? The players are changing, <laughs> what's going on here? And, and we don't know. This is a good question about reality, right? Because we, we don't have a photo of it or a video of it. It's uh, my word versus their word and who knows, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And another piece of, of therapy too, it's a lot of what I, I'd like to do in therapy is work with the client on our relationship. And oftentimes working with people for, for many years, it's like we have our own history. And sometimes we'll go back and talk about things that we talked about and piece together our memories of what happened or like, oh, we had this conflict this one time or um, uh, client might say, yeah, I remember the one time that you said this to me. And I'm like, whoa, that's not what I said. <laughs> or I don't think I said that, mm. you know, uh, or just, you know, maybe it was just a recent thing. Well, in the last session, you said that you think I should do this. I'm like, whoa, hey, got a couple of problems there. I don't usually tell people to do things and also... <laughs> I don't think I said that. So there's there, there's kind of dissecting what what our different realities are there, I guess, the subjective realities of that and trying to align that and also see what that means, you know. If you're if you're perceiving me as being judgmental of you, um, is that something I need to take a look at as as reflect on as a therapist? Or is that something that uh that maybe you're bringing in from your own past, you know? Have you been rejected by a lot of people in your life or a lot of helpers or caregivers or authority figures or whatever it is in your life? And, uh, and I'm just kind of the next one, kind of assuming I'm gonna reject you or judge you. Mm -hmm. So we gotta be ready as therapists to, to roll up our sleeves and talk about our own relationship with the client too. Very true. Mm -hmm which I find to be some of the richest work we can do, really. It's true. Yes. So, realities. Joe, did we, did we answer your I question? Think, <laughs> I think so. I really just, I think it was just, I wasn't sure what was going to come out of it. And I think we chatted about all kinds of things. So, yeah. Anyway, I thought it was great. That was a really good, fun topic. I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I think uh, it was just fun to see what came up and kind of where our minds went with it. So I think that was 
yeah, all I could have hoped for. So, well, if Chris were here, he'd be talking about the evolutionary components of this and about the neurobiology of it, talking about how our amygdala and our prefrontal cortex are probably have something to do with this or hypothalamus, who knows. So maybe he can fill in next time. Chris, if you're listening, take notes. Tell us about it next time. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Well, great topic, Joe. Uh, an objectively great topic. Not even subjective. It was just objectively great. <laughs> and uh, that's it for us for tonight. So. Hooray. Welcome to year two of the podcast. Uh, like and subscribe at Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. Send your questions to us here at info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend, 50, or just remember to tell somebody. There you go. And that's, uh, and that's all for us tonight.